river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor Trad Quest, we're back. Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, man? Not much, buddy. We just recorded a, another awesome podcast. Jeez, it is, uh, you forget how much fun it is. Uh, yeah. you get, get out hunting and, and, uh, kind of get away from the podcast will from a little bit, but man, uh, you get a good guy on like we just had and it, uh, reminds you of, uh, how much fun this can be. Yep. Why we do it. So. Heck yeah, this guy, uh, Paul Forward, I don't know if you guys have heard of him or not, but probably not. He is a stud. He is uh, Alaska all the way. His grandpa was a traditional bow hunter and his dad. And he's uh, our age, about 40 years old, and he's up there doing it all. So we had a really good conversation. He's a super good dude, and uh, you guys are really gonna really going to like this one. He has a great, um, a great sense of humor and, uh, I, I really like his, uh, outlook, uh, on, on life and bow hunting. It's, it's, uh, yeah. very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of one of those guys we didn't want to quit talking to. We, after, yeah. we, after we stopped the podcast, we kept talking to him for another half an hour. Yeah. It's one of these days we got to make it up there on Alaska. Uh, one of these days sooner than later. That's really high on my bucket list. So I'm going to start pinching your arm a little bit. I, I'm torn like on when, when to go after, uh, you know, to go for a velvet hunt or a rut hunt. Yeah. Tough decisions. Talking about yeah. Sitka blacktails. We talked a lot about Sitka blacktails. So yeah. uh, you guys like it. It sounds like, uh, I don't know. For me, it sounds like the first trip up there would be good to do one earlier. Weather would be better. Sounds like you get still get a lot of action and camp. You're kind of hunting. It sounds to me like you're hunting up high away from the bears, which I know Paul loves seeing the bears as part <laughs> of the experience, but it would be nice to not get eaten by a bear while you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes it's like I've never been around grizzly bears and it's easy to say, oh yeah, no big deal. I will go hunt around those bears. Uh, but people get attacked by those bears every year. Like it's not, it's not like, uh, it doesn't happen. Like it actually happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you talk to it like Paul's like, oh, I don't even have a gun most of the time. What do you say? He's probably hunted 150 days on Kodiak. And yeah. They're, they don't care. They're fine. It's like, yeah, that's. That's uh I think I think if you and I went up there our outlook would be a little different because yeah. we're we'll see flatlanders probably. Yeah, town livers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh those big monsters. I would like to be around them though. I would like to see uh, a grizzly bear in person. I think that that would be life-changing for sure. Um no up north Alaska. Huh, how it's just intimidating. Just the thought of it is intimidating. Yeah, for sure. uh, and this guy's, uh, he's living right, man. He's got his priorities straight. And that, that's, uh, that's something I, seems to be the, 
the theme on these guys that we interview uh, is they definitely prioritize different than the standard American, the, 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 the average weekend warrior, I suppose. Yeah. And you know, the, 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 one of the coolest things about doing this interview with Paul and Paul's a younger guy, you know, for us traditional guys being around 40 or whatever. And it was so cool. We just did one with Sterling Holbrook and you're talking a guy who has just lived a life of adventure and just done so many cool things. And you heard Paul talk about a lot of the same things. And it was yes. so cool to hear that from a younger guy. Like I was picking that up too. Yeah, I was like, like I was picking know, that up like these guys the first day. That's yeah, that's I was my days out, you know, and it's like it's not about it it's it's that excuse just like Sterling said, you know, that the bow gives you the excuse to be out there doing what you're doing and it's and it's just a different it's a different outlook than mo- than most people have. you know the 95% yeah. of the people I think that that hunt have anymore and it's just it was refreshing to hear from him i mean just so cool yeah paul said basically the same thing in different words uh i've seen a lot of uh uh commonality between those two guys for sure that uh i was picking up on that during the interview for sure yeah I think that commonarity, is that a word or is that a coasty word? I think that's Dude, a that, coasty word. That's Coos County. Coos commonarity. County. Okay. So the word I'm looking for you can't find is. find that in the dictionary, boys. <laughs> no. We make these up here. <laughs> no, uh, I, t- I totally agree. Like I said, that was, that was one of the coolest parts of the interview. It was just like, I was picking up that stuff. It's like, man, we've got a young Sterling Holbrook on here. So cool. And it was he, similarity, right? That yep. was the word I was looking for. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's super. <laughs> Super good dude. He's sheep and goats and moose and oh, and he's educated, animals. unlike me. And he, he uses really big words and he uses them in the right content. Yeah, uh, he's really smart. context. He's a doctor, actually. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that was cool a doctor. too. It's, we've interviewed a couple doctors now. We've had several doctors. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. Uh, we're learning big words. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, I'll, I doubt I retain them, but it's it's nice to learn them. Yep, yep. So you guys will love this one, and we'll definitely have to get him back on. I'd like to – we talked a little bit about gear and stuff, but for being guys that don't live and breathe the backpacking, I'd love to get him back on and talk more about, you know, his later season stuff. We talked about the down and synthetics, and we talked, we brushed on it, but he's one of those guys we could get back on and, and definitely have some more. So, yeah, if you guys have any questions or anything, email us, send us an email, and – Maybe we get him back on do a Q and A or something. It'd be awesome. Yeah, he hunts blacktails as a dessert hunt. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a, I got a kick out of that when I'm, you know, after chasing mountain goats and doll sheep around, you need to have a dessert hunt where you can kick your feet up and take it easy. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I think you guys are. We'll enjoy this one. Um, yeah, if you guys uh, are listening and have uh, friends like Paul, and I know these guys sometimes are hard to uh, to dig up or to get them to come on, but please reach out to us. Uh, these are the guys that uh, we really enjoy having on, and I think the listeners really do too. You know, your everyday uh, regular Joe bow hunter. So keep us in mind uh, when you're listening to these, and why we're thanking uh, our listeners. We should also thank our uh, Patreon supporters. They're keeping the lights on in the podcast. If you guys don't know about the Patreon, uh, you can 
check it out on uh, we got a link to our on our website at tradquest.com or there's a link on our Instagram page. Uh, it's a place where you guys can support the podcast and uh, we like to give back uh, to the guys that support us. So while well, we're talking about support, I know we send a lot of guys over to Andy, our good buddy at Addictive Archery. He's the arrow master. And he's been slacking lately. He's building a house right now and and blah, blah, blah. But don't let up on him. Just keep bugging him and uh, get on him. He'll be right back in action soon. So if you guys uh, guys are looking, I t- talked to a lot of guys this fall that are looking at getting back into the wood arrows and had a lot of questions. Make sure to give Andy a call and, and uh, he'll hook you up. He just might be kind of hard to get a hold of for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um Andy's got YouTube channel out too, and we we get into wood arrows. We're always talking about wood arrows. We're big advocates for wood arrows, and um, so yeah, if you guys have any interest uh, in those, you know, feel free to get a hold of Andy, get a hold of Carson Brown over at Sherwood Shafts. Check out uh, Addictive Archery's YouTube channel. He's got a lot of great content on there on uh, learn, you know, the skills it takes to uh, to build up those woodies, and um, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, so yeah, we'll be dragging him on. I'm going on a hunt with him here in a few weeks, so we'll be. I'll, I'll get him on a podcast. He actually did one with uh, traditional bow hunter. Did you listen to that one? No, I hadn't got a chance to listen to that yeah, yet. Yeah, that's good. So if yeah. you guys, uh, I think I don't know if they're on like Podbean and iTunes. I think I just was on their website or something. But um, what's Carrie? Is that TJ's daughter? Yeah. She's she's doing a few here and there. So Andy was just on there. He is such a good dude, one of the best guys you'll ever meet, and you can tell just from listening to that. So, and we've had him on. He's helped us out a few times on this podcast, and we'll get him back on here. Hopefully, we can scrounge up some more recording equipment and uh, do a couple while we're out on our late hunts this year. Yes, I'll be hunting with uh, our good buddy Matt Starley. I'll be doing a little hunting with uh, Chris Tipton. Um, and, uh, Scott Lacino. So I've got, uh, some blacktail trips planned and, uh, gonna be sharing some of those camps with some good friends. And yeah, we'll get some content out to you guys. Uh, I also plan to talk to a, uh, blacktail biologist soon. So yeah, I uh, listened got... to him at commission meeting this summer. That one's going to be, I can't wait for that. One. Yeah. It's going to be, be awesome. And for all you guys out there, whitetail hunting, that's kind of the same thing we talk about when we're talking about these blacktail ones. So you guys will have a lot to look forward to on these coming up. And uh, you, you actually just did one with uh, with St. Koviak, so I'm sure yeah. you guys talked about a lot of that on there. So yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be Saint- coming out real soon. And That'll uh, be coming out soon. And exactly, I, I do a lot of – I pay attention to whitetail content, uh, mountain whitetail hunting, and public land whitetail hunting, especially when there's terrain involved because – it, it goes right into my blacktail hunting. It's it's the same stuff, same tactics, same behavior pattern. The rut comes on pretty much the same exact time as as the whitetail rut does. So um, it's it's all all very similar. Yeah. Anyway, all right, we're rambling. Let's not ramble. Let's get right to the good stuff because what we have to say is retarded, and this guy is awesome. So yep, we, uh, let's we got do it. our giveaway for our Patreon guys. Yep. What are we, what are we giving away, James? You got the stuff down there. Yeah, I just got a couple things laying around here. Uh, throw together a little package here. I've got a really cool uh, gray and orange T-shirt from 
the footage shaft, Terry. And I've got a really cool camouflage boonie hat from Addictive Archery. And what else do I got here? Oh, I got a uh, Fredbear commemorative pocket knife 10 coin set. So I'm going to throw these uh, this T-shirt and hat and coin set and get it shipped off to who's the big winner today? Kevin Jensen. Kevin Jensen. Uh, thank you for supporting the TradQuest podcast. We do appreciate it, and we will get this uh, little package of uh, swag shipped out to you. Thank you very much. All right. You guys enjoy this one. I got to tell you, I did find my notes from <laughs> <laughs> from two springs ago, and – Trent Wingard gave me a dude's number. His name was Thor. Do you know a Thor? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I do know Thor. Yep. Yeah. And he, and so he told Trent, he's like, you know, this guy's killed everything under the sun. You got to get him on there. And so, like I said, I knew it was you because I'd looked you up and I, all I could find online was a bunch of like extreme skiing stuff. And then, man, we were so busy that summer getting, and I just totally, my high organization skills just filed it away and then i when you sent us an email i'm like that's the guy so thanks a lot oh that's hilarious we appreciate it oh no i i I, uh i just i don't know i got recently convinced that i should do something like that and so uh it's not really in my nature to do things like that but i figured i would uh i like what you guys are doing and seems like there's could be a few more people out there carrying longbows and recurves around so maybe I don't know. Maybe it helps to have them hear stories about how it's possible to kill stuff with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't you don't realize how much you inspire people, especially you know we've gotten a lot of the older guys on their legends, but there's a lot of young guys out there that are, that are doing it. So you're more you're more in the younger realm. So it's awesome to. Uh, yep, I like I like to hear that. That's good. Sometimes <laughs> I think I'm <laughs> trending the other direction there. <laughs> how uh, how old are you, Paul? I just turned 40 this summer. Oh, right on. Yeah. So same age as us. Is that, yeah. You guys the same age, right on. Yeah. I'll be 41 this month and Bob would be 38 or nine. I just turned 39. So I'm All right on. glad to talk to a guy that's 40 with a kid in diapers because, uh, <laughs> my wife's wanting kid number two and I'll be there also. Oh man. We were just talking about that. I don't know if we're going to go that route, but it's, uh, it's definitely a, a hot discuss, hot topic in our household right now. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. It, my my wife was, we kind of were convinced we weren't going to do it, but then your kid gets old enough and she's like, I want a brother or sister. And then you're like, oh man. How old is yours right now? I can't remember what you said. She's four. Oh yeah. Right on. Yeah. yeah. The, man, I just can't, can't even imagine when he's going to be like a person who has like, you can talk and, move around on his own it just blows my mind that that's even going to (laughs) happen yeah on the on my first one mine are uh a mine are 10 12 and 15 uh i have daughters right on and on the first one i really enjoyed the process but on the second one i was like walk and talk already (laughs) and on the third one i was like when is she gonna walk and talk (laughs) but nah man enjoy it it's 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 so awesome so much fun it, it is pretty fun, and we're we're slowly like figuring out how to like you know survive the nights. He still he was sleeping through the night, and like now he's not again. And I know that can happen, but 
that, you know, it stresses the whole system a little bit, especially when this time of year when uh, I'm absent a fair bit of the time, which my wife is super understanding about and super cool about, but it still doesn't make it any easier on her um, when I'm like satellite messaging her from a tent someplace and telling them how much I love them. And she's like, oh, yeah, and Ren's not sleeping through the night again. And I have to go to work in the morning. And I hope you're having fun on your hunt. <laughs> yeah, well, wait till he's in high school. The phone calls are even different, let me tell you. Oh, God. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's <yeah. laughs> awesome. So where does uh, where does your trad quest begin? How did you get into this? Uh, I st- well, I was I was pretty lucky. My um, my dad was a, a pretty much like lifelong hunter, and uh, and even my grandpa actually. I was home over Christmas. Uh, my parents just live a couple hours from here, and it seems like it's Christmas tradition to like look at old photo albums from. And there's photos of my grandpa with deer and longbows from like the 1930s wow. and 40s. So, and then my dad, my he was never a real avid hunter, but he was part of like whatever archery club there was in uh, upstate New York, and uh, killed a few deer. And then my dad got got real into it to the point where it like drove his major life decisions. Like, you know, he went into forestry because he thought being a forester meant he could live in the woods and hunt all the time. And, uh, and to be, and my dad is like still to this day, he'll, he, you know, all, all his bow hunting is with his old, like his newest recurves, like 25 years old. But, uh, I, he'll probably listen to this and he'll laugh, but I still kind of think he stuck with it when the compounds came out because he was really frugal because <laughs> he was cheap. <laughs> he didn't want to buy the fancy gear because that my dad tends to be that way a little bit. But, uh, by the time, uh, my brother and I were old enough to hunt, my dad had decided that, you know, that he was, there was like a pride involved in hunting with traditional gear. And, uh, we just kind of like, were kind of brought into that world. And, uh, we started, so oh, I passed my Alaska bow hunter cert, I think when I was 12, I have the card somewhere. It's like, it says 1992. So I would have been 12 years old. And just so happened that that year I drew a, um, I drew a lottery tag for a, a moose hunt, not too far from my parents' house. We could like drive to, you know, like after school and stuff. And I shot a moose, I shot a cow moose with my recurve, um, not long after my 13th birthday, I guess. And, and then a caribou, I think that same summer, maybe on a Dalton highway hunt, we used to drive up there every year for two weeks. And that just kind of set me off. It was pretty much an obsession after that. So, so, uh, you were born and raised in Alaska. I wasn't born here. Um, I was born, my dad, um, managed a nursery in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And so I was born when they lived there. Uh, the nearest hospital was in Wisconsin. And so I was actually, my birth certificate says Wisconsin on it, even though I don't think I've ever been to Wisconsin, like past like the age of one, <laughs> but that's what it says, my birth certificate. And then we moved up here when we were in elementary school. And your dad, uh, took you up North for the hunting opportunity for, for himself or. Yeah. I mean, I thought it's kind of what he, he had wanted to come up here, uh, ever since he like knew about it, like even in college, he'd always dreamed of coming up here to hunt and fish. And, uh, and I think when the career options kind of opened up for him to, he, he worked for the forest service for over, I think 35 years he retired in forest service. Um, and, uh, so when the opportunity came to come up here, he, like a lot of people that moved to Alaska that he said, well, we'll go up for a couple of years and have an adventure. And, you know, 30 plus years later, my parents are, settled in for life and so 
so so is my brother and I. <laughs> cool. So your your uh, brother is he a younger or older brother? Uh, two younger brothers. Uh, one actually did move to Montana. He's living in Missoula now. Um, and the other one is uh, 11 years younger, and he's he lives right down the street from me here in Girdwood. Sweet. And are they bow hunters? Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, my my youngest brother hasn't. He has a bow and he shoots. He hasn't been real obsessed with hunting with it. Um, my middle brother, who's two years younger, uh, he. He uh, has had a lot of success down in Montana. He sends me pictures of his elk and turkeys and deer all the time. So he, he hunts a fair bit. Awesome. So you guys grew up with your old man just out there getting after it? or We were super lucky, yeah. we um, You know, our annual trip, which was like, I can safely say for me, it was the highlight of my year every year was that uh, Dalton Highway drive-up caribou trip. You guys have probably heard about it. It's like an archery-only corridor. Yeah. Um, five miles either side of the road. And, um, we went up there. My dad went up the first time in 1990 or 91. And then, uh, he brought us up for the first time in 92. And, uh, we pretty much went every, every year after that, um, at the end of the summer, right before school started, um, up until, uh, up until we went away for college. And then even, uh, even after that, whenever I could, swing it when i'd be home in the summers we'd still go up there it was a it was a pretty special thing for us for a long time man can you share a story from one of those hunts with us yeah uh there's so many um the the one that i I, I didn't result in me killing a caribou but the one that i still think about all the time i think it was that first year and uh we i think the first year i didn't get one and as I, I can't quite remember, maybe I got one the first year, not the second. Anyway, we had hunted really hard for like, you know, whatever, 12 or 14 days. And, uh, I was, I was kind of a bit crazy as a kid. Like I was always like waking everybody up, you know, it's hard to wake up before towards light up there. Cause you know, it's like above the Arctic circle and it's light out at four in the morning, but I did my best to like, my dad would get pretty annoyed with me because as soon as it was even like a hint of daylight, even though we'd only been in bed for like four hours, I was like, come on, we got to go. We got to go. And, uh, and I would just take off on my own a lot and he would, he would let me do that. But, um, we'd, we'd all hunted. We hadn't, I don't think we'd killed any caribou and, uh, we were driving home and, uh, we saw, it was pretty foggy and we saw a group of, of, uh, pretty obviously bulls, like, you know, off, we just saw them from the road, which we didn't normally hunt from the road. We normally hiked off the road, um, but we saw them like you know a few hundred yards out from the, the road, or maybe, maybe a quarter mile away. And I convinced my dad that we should stop and give it one more try. And it was it, we snuck along the ridge, and it was fog was coming in and out. You couldn't really see anything. And we all we kind of figured we were in the right spot, and we all kind of hunkered down together, all facing like slightly different directions because we didn't know which where they were going to come. And uh, you know. Your your recollection always is exaggerated, but I still think it was one of the biggest bull caribou I've ever seen. Uh, they just happened to come on my side of our little group, so I was the only one really set up to shoot. And uh, it was like, I mean, this most beautiful bull caribou just appearing out of the fog at, like, very close range, you know, well under 20 yards it, with a group of, of other bulls. And uh, I was the only one to, that had a shot. And so I, uh, 
I raised up and, and shot and I basically just like shaved hair off of his back. We found the arrow. It was like completely bloodless arrow, you know, like, no, I mean, it was, we all saw it. It was like, you know, went in, it, I shot high, I full target panic and, uh, kind of zipped through like, you know, it was like a completely non-lethal hit, but I was convinced that because it was the first animal that I had ever hit and it hadn't, like, I think I'd only shot two animals at that point and they had both like, you know, kind of gone down in sight. And uh, I was like, well, I hit it, Dad. we got to stay up here until we find it. We're going to have to stay up here for, like, weeks if it takes that long because we're going to find that caribou. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, you know, we'll always pursue wounded animals. So he's like, you didn't really wound that animal. And I was like, no, Dad, we're staying. We have to follow that caribou. <laughs> he's like, that caribou is going to be, like, heading south of the Brooks Range for its migration here in a couple of weeks. You're never going to see that thing again. So I was like, no, 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 we're staying. And I, it was, like, this big thing. And I was like, no, we're staying on this caribou. And he, uh, it was, I think I pretty much like was pretty miserable to live with the entire like 30 hour, 20 hour drive back to Eagle River after that. Cause I was so <laughs> convinced that we were doing the wrong thing by leaving that caribou that I had shaved hair off of on the tundra. <laughs> <laughs> but mainly I just wanted to keep hunting. That was the big point. I just want to stay up there. <laughs> so Paul growing up and being so obsessed with it, like how did that, how did that mold into like, your career and what you do up there because obviously you get a lot of time off to go hunting and uh how'd you choose your career and all that uh, so i was always like even like in high school i was like convinced i was going to find like a part-time job <laughs> of some kind <laughs> and uh but i always like i always really like science and, and that kind of stuff and uh from, i think by the time i was like 14 or 15 i told my parents i was going to be uh a rural family doctor. Cause I, I think honestly, I have to, I have to say like I had, I read traditional bow hunter voraciously and I read all the Don Thomas stories and I was like, look at this guy. Like he's a doctor. He, he's like, you know, going on all these hunts and he was living in Alaska, I think at the time. And, uh, I was a pretty impressionable kid. I did it. I just, I just read like voraciously. And, uh, I was like, you know, he was one of two people. There was also this doctor who did a lot of whitewater kayaking, lived down in Valdez and kind of had the same program. And that was the other thing that I got into pretty, you know, in high school was whitewater kayaking real big. And I was like, I want to be like those guys. I want to live in a, you know, live and work in a small town and work, work part-time as a doctor and pretty much just set off on that path. And, uh, and that's what I ended up doing. I, uh, ended up going to university of Washington and, um, did medical school there and then, uh, did a residency in family medicine and even in med school, I took like, I took an extra year off to kind of travel and, and did a fair bit of hunting and other stuff. And, um, uh, residency, I had kind of to buckle down, but I was here in, it was back in Anchorage, so I could still hunt a fair bit. Like, um, and, uh, and then since then, I've found various jobs throughout the state. First, um, five, five and a half years, I was working in Kodiak, um, part time. I'd work like pretty extensively in the, summer. I worked quite a bit in the fall because I could hunt, you know, I only need a few days off here and there to hunt a lot. And then, uh, and then I do my winters up here in Girdwood, uh, ski guiding, which was always something I wanted to kind of do. And, uh, and now I work in Kotzebue kind of on the same schedule. And I, I mostly, I don't do as much like true family medicine anymore. I mostly do like emergency. I cover the ER and, and do some inpatient stuff. Awesome. Yeah, that's good for young guys to hear i know there's a lot of young guys that listen and they they want to hunt all the time and 
got to start planning early. And uh, so, sounds like you've got her dialed. So how remote do you uh, live? Do you live? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I live in Girdwood, which is uh, it's not remote at all. It's like 45 minutes from Anchorage. It's the okay. uh, it's the town in Alaska that has the ski area, the the Alaska Ski Resort. Okay. And so you know, we're, our house is like kind of in the woods. I don't see any other houses. I'm at the end of the street, but I mean, I'm 45 minutes from Anchorage and all that it is. <laughs> Sorry, How did you your hunting change? I know you do a lot of backpacking and stuff now, and and the older you got, you know, going from your trips on the Dalton Highway and everything to where you're at now. Yeah, and did you did you uh, hunt the beautiful state of Washington while you were going to school there? Yeah, I never did. You know, I maintained my um, I, I wanted to, but I, I maintained my Alaska residency, and fall was always like a pretty. It was usually a pretty intense time, just the way my schedule worked out, and so um, I never, never really had an ch- opportunity to. And I, plus, I lived like in a little apartment in the U District, and I, uh, I it just seemed like a, a too much of a stretch to try to make it happen while I was down there. Um, but I would love to. Um, and uh, man, as far as the hunting goes, uh, you know, I still when I came back up here, I was still really into doing as much as I could, like hiking off the road. Um, and then uh, when I started working in Kodiak, I made friends with, um, in particular, one of the pilots down there, uh, Taj Shoemaker, really awesome guy. And uh, he was friends with some other friends I had. And I started to get entertained the idea of doing some fly out hunting. And uh, man, I just got hooked on it. It's just so fun to you know, Alaska is still a pretty big place and there's still a lot of places you can go, but during hunting season, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to get like away from where you're like, you know, not hearing gunshots and four wheelers and jet boats. And, you know, you still get a lot of like people influence most places you can hunt on the road system here. And there's a lot of exceptions, but when you get, when you get dropped off and you're by yourself and that plane rolls away, it is like, it's like the kind of Alaska that I've always really loved and I'm just addicted to it now. And I do, I do ski trips and whitewater kayak trips out of those small planes as much as I can too. I just love being out in the middle of nowhere with, uh, just, it's just awesome. And so I'm pr- pretty hooked on that. Not even just because the, the hunting's better, just because the wilderness experience is, is, is more what I'm looking for. Do you, and you, are you doing most of these trips, uh, solo as far as the hunting goes? I'd say most. Yeah. Um, my uh my wife likes to go sometimes so like we'll go um you know especially before we had our our son this may she would go on one trip with me a year at least and that was awesome um but uh i i really like that that sensation of being out there on my own i like just that feeling when the plane flies away and you're by yourself for you know 7 to 14 days is uh i don't know i can't really explain it but i really like it and, uh, so, so like this year I did, um, I did, you know, cut back a little bit with, with the baby, but I did a goat hunt by myself and then I did some deer hunting solo, but not like fly in trips so far. And then I did, um, just came back from a moose hunt and moose solo. I've hunted moose solo, but it's always been in a situation where like I could call somebody to help me and, you know, and they'd be there, you know, later that day. And I did a fly-in moose hunt for the first time this year, and 
that was a pretty intimidating thought to work out a big bowl by myself. I was really afraid I'd compromise the meat. And so I went with a buddy on that. Um, uh, and then I'm going to leave here for a deer hunt, uh, back on Kodiak here in a couple of weeks. And I'll be by myself again. Do you hunt the, uh, those, uh, Sitka blacktails often or? Yeah, I love them. That's my, it's probably my, even though I didn't start hunting them until pretty late in life, like I think I hunted them for the first time in like 2012 or so. Um, I think they're kind of my favorite animals to hunt. They're, uh, they're great eating. The meat quality is super high and, uh, love the terrain that they're in. And, uh, they're just, they're just really, you guys hunt them down there too. I'm sure like they're just amazing animals. They're beautiful. They're, they're pretty smart. The numbers are pretty good. They're just super cool. They're they're my favorite by a, a landslide. I I absolutely oh, love nice. them, and I haven't awesome. got to, to come up north and hunt them yet. But it's like really high on the bucket list. Oh man, we should talk. I'll I can help uh, I can help set you up. Uh, it's probably way easier than what you guys do. I feel I feel like 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 ninety percent of the reason I'm successful with the bow is just because I get to hunt in places that are really good. And if I had to go someplace with like challenging hunting, like I'd probably like. End up with an empty freezer every year. <laughs> these uh, these animals are educated down here. They've got a PhD in hunter, that's for sure. Uh, oh, I believe it. The Kodiak deer do not. <laughs> I, I don't mean to. I, I would never call an animal dumb, and they're certainly not. And they could be really challenging, especially outside the rut. But uh, but they're not. You know, I, I'm sure it's nothing like what you guys are dealing with. Even when well, I, I hunt them in August every year, even in August, I'm sure it's nothing like what you guys deal with. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely hold you to that and hit you up for some info because uh, I want to put that oh, together yeah. in the next few years for sure. You should, you should. It's a pretty cool experience. I mean, it's just like you know, hunting up here is like I really feel like three quarters of it is just an excuse to go to places that you wouldn't normally go and just be out in the. I mean, and it sounds cliche to say, but it, that's, I mean, like going to Kodiak, the place is just spectacular it's just amazing and you, you're just like oh i get to go hunting here that's really cool but the big part is you're just in this incredible place and that's how most of the hunting up here is for me really so let's talk about kodiak for a minute how do you do you like this uh time period that's coming up this uh halloween time frame is that uh the best time to go and are you getting dropped off uh at a lake and camping or uh, yeah, yeah. I, I've done it lots of different ways. Um, I, uh, I do, it depends. So I'll always, I really love the meat in August and it's really fun to hunt them up, you know, up high in, in velvet in August. Um, and that's, and you know, and that's, it's pretty fun hunting. It's kind of, you know, I, I love mountain hunting and and hunting in August, it's like almost like sheep hunting, you know, they're like up bedded in the cliffs and you get to use a lot of cool terrain. And, um, so that, I would say that's a, if not my favorite, it's like right up there with like the best time of year and the meat in August. It's, as long as you d- you can deal with the heat, which is, seems like increasingly an issue, uh, the August meat is just spectacular. Uh, you do you do have to deal with the rut a little bit, you know, in the October November. Um, I have hunted in October quite a bit. I've hunted in September quite a bit, and I I kind of like. Uh, like, yeah, like Halloween, early November, I think is a nice time to hunt for sure. The, I've hunted late November too, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, bears, is there more of a bear issue in the in the fall than in the summer hunt? 
Man, this is, again, this is going to sound kind of cliche or dumb, but to me, the bears are like, they, seeing bears makes the hunt way better. It's like, it's like enhances the experience. Like I've never had, I don't know how I've hunted Kodiak at least 100, 150 days now and almost never carrying a firearm. And I feel like the bears make, like they're, bears on Kodiak with the exception of like, you know, you hear, you, you know, you hear stories every once in a while, but they're, they're pretty well behaved from a perspective of like a hunter, you know, like they enhance the experience. And I, I love seeing them out there in the fall. And, you know, they're still pretty keyed in on, on fish when there's a lot of fish around, I think. Um, but man, the bears are just an awesome part of the experience um, that I haven't really found to be a detriment at all. Very cool. So uh, to go back to the meet in the August, because so if you go on one of those hunts, like what, and you get dropped off. I guess nowadays you can just text your pilot and tell him you got meat to come pick it up. But do you I thought I've heard of guys, you know, like sinking the meat in the lake or how does that work to keep it cool? Yeah, I have, I know friends that do that too. Um, I typically, um, don't hunt fly in hunts in August for that reason. I like to be able to be you know, just because you never know what the weather's going to do or what's going to be going on with your pilot. And um, I really enjoy the, like, hiking, hunting that time of year. You know, long days allow for you to go pretty far, and I can pack out a deer by myself without too much trouble. And so um, and you can go real light with your gear, right? You don't need much stuff. So you can go, you can keep your pack super light. So I tend to, tend to hike and hunt that time of year, and I just – you know, daylight's long enough that pretty much any time of day, once you kill your buck, you just start start hoofing it for, you know, wherever you need to get. Um, and I've done it from the water before. I've done it with, like, sea kayak. I've done it. I actually had, a, <laughs> I had an old jet ski down in Kodiak for a while that I hunted off of. <laughs> it was pretty silly. Uh, that was that was ill-advised. I wouldn't recommend anybody do that. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, I, but for that reason, I don't. But I, I know a lot of people that do hunt in August and they'll either, yeah, get a pickup right away or, um, try to like sink in a lake. And, you know, and I've, depending on the year, uh, you can find snow sometimes too up high. And, um, I've done that with a goat before in, uh, if that was September on that particular one, but where I put the meat on snow that I found up in the high country. So you have some different options, but it's always really stressful. Once you shoot, once you release that arrow, man, it's fun's over. <laughs> <laughs> Picture you ripping out on the jet ski. I like that. <laughs> uh, it's so dumb. It's not what you think either. It's like so dumb. It's like <laughs> Kodiak is not the right place for that. Like it's it, the weather there is too harsh, you know, and they're trying to figure out places to like anchor it where the tide isn't an issue. And, oh uh, man, it's, it's not worth the trouble. That's for sure. You got a lot of funny looks. And Please tell me it was yeah, one for of the stand up ones. That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, I was doing like backflip. No. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, so, it's hilarious. I, yeah, I, yeah, the jet ski thing is dumb. Let's not even talk about it. <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. It sounds like a good idea to me. But uh, it was cheap. It was cheap. At, cheap water access. I thought it was a good idea at first. That's why. That's why they make takedown bows, right? Oh yeah, oh, I'm a big proponent of takedown bows. I never use, uh, I don't have any one piece bows that I hunt with really. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're talking about your light gear on those early hunts, maybe go over that a little bit real quick. Like, 
Are you taking a tent? Are you just taking a sleeping bag like a tarp? What's your what's your gear setup for those super light early hunts when you don't have to worry so much about the Kodiak rain and snow? Yeah, so I mean the big thing on Kodiak is always the wind. And even in the even in like August, you can just get absolutely pounded by wind and that can really make your life miserable. Um, and you can certainly get those, you know, real cold rainy days too. And so, um, I tend to stick with the, um, Todex bugs aren't too bad. So I tend, tend to just go for there with, uh, any of the floorless shelters, like the pyramid type things. Mm-hmm. And I, I've had a couple of different of those. I, this year I got, um, uh, one that instead of a single pole has like two poles, like I use two trekking poles to prop up the two sides of it. And then, uh, and then I just bring a ton of different types of stakes so I can stake it out really well because the, the wind can just just ruin your whole hunt out there. Um, and the rain, it can rain for days and days. Um, so I do that for a shelter. I do a, a, like a quilt, like a real light down. Um, and I'm down all the time. I, I can talk forever about why I like down instead of synthetic. But I, I go uh, down-filled quilts and uh, you know, no zipper or anything and a light sleeping pad. And, and then just, you know, a little like jet boil or similar stove and that whole kit, I mean, the shelter weighs like under a pound, the sleeping bags, you know, like just like, like 19 ounces or something. The pad, you know, is like less than a pound and the stove is half a pound with the pot. And so, you know, my whole like, you know, critical gear, you know, we're talking like four pounds, five pounds for all that stuff. It's, it's real light. And, uh, and then I just, you know... I don't take any extra layers or anything like that. And I go, I have it's taken me quite a while to figure it out, but I have a pretty good sense of like what I need for food for like per day. And I, I get pretty nerdy on it uh, as far as like, you know, I do some calorie counting and just cause it's extra weight you carry. Right. And I've definitely undershot and overshot a few times, but I've done it enough where I have like a pretty, and not just hiding. I've done a lot of like, you know, multi-day ski trips, traverses, things like that. It's all the same stuff, right? And so I have a pretty good sense of what I need. And that's real personal, right? Like everybody's different on that. Um, but I can do like well under two pounds a day for food. I can do like a probably pound and a half to pound and three quarter a day of food for those trips and be and like, you know, not lose much weight. <laughs> <laughs> Still survive. Yeah, yeah. I'll, it'd be pretty comfortable. Like I, I wouldn't say I'm hungry most of the time. I'm pretty pretty well like that so why do you like the down over the synthetics because for me when i hear that i don't do a ton of backpack hunting and i run a synthetic bag just because i feel like you know you hear the stories when the down gets wet and especially when i hear guys that are hunting alaska all the time and they're all 100 percent down it kind of doesn't make sense is that newer down that's treated better or what's what's your uh, thoughts on the down over the synthetic I I, ha- I have, I think maybe the thing I have now that I use now has treated down, but I've used lots that don't. So, I, you know, I have slept a lot of nights in wet down sleeping bags. And uh, I just, you know, I, I think that, A, you're, it's way lighter, right? You're shaving like pounds out of your pack. Like, I mean, we're talking for a 20-degree synthetic sleeping bag versus a, you know, 20-degree down quilt talking like a couple of pounds, which, you know, once you throw a, you know, 90 pounds of goat meat in there, uh, like 
you start really sweating two pounds. It's a big deal. <laughs> and even if you don't, you know, I, I do all my hunting with my pack on my back. Like I never, I'm not into like setting up a base camp at all. Like every day I pack up everything and I just, I'm on the move. I sleep in a different place almost every night when I'm sheep or goat hunting. And, and it's similar with deer in, in the, in the summer. And so, um, weight's critical and, uh, it adds up. I mean, you're, you're, you're two pounds there and one pound here and a half pound here and yeah. three ounces there. Next thing you know, you're talking 11 pounds, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's a big savings right there on the down sleeping bag. And, you know, I have spent enough, I, I carry a synthetic puffy jacket and I, my like one luxury item I always take is a pair of like light, kind of like midweight fleecy, like long underwear pants. And I have spent quite a few nights where I was like completely soaked when I went to bed. My sleeping bag was pretty wet from the night before, even wetter that from the, whatever I was dealing with that day. And I get all my clothes on and it's a little damp and it's not the most comfortable, but uh, you know, I've, I've endured some really cold, wet, miserable nights in a pretty wet sleeping bag. And I have heard from people who know about this stuff better than I do that up, up to a pretty saturated point, you know, per ounce wet down is still giving you pretty good insulation relative to, to synthetic. And I, I believe it. I, I think it works pretty darn well. And, and you know, and also I am, I, I guess I've spent enough time with my gear, especially with like my shelters and stuff that I'm pretty confident that I am going to keep it dry most of the time. And, uh, I, you know, in, in worst case scenario, I've got the synthetic puffy in the pants and, um, I just think it, you know, for those, few times when i might really be that wet it's not that bad to make up for like two extra pounds my pack it looks like you run uh sitka gear mostly is that right uh yeah i do i have a lot of sick gear stuff one of my best buddies is this guy down in kodiak uh cole kramer you guys might know him or he's guided quite a few traditional bow hunters and uh i used to be like really camo agnostic and uh he He's uh, beat the drum pretty hard for me to be on the Sitka program, and so I've bought a fair amount of their stuff over the years. And their rain gear does good out in that country. Yeah, it's, it's Gore-Tex. You know, it's like you know. My understanding is Sitka's made by Gore, and I you know pretty much live in Gore-Tex, whether it's a dry suit or my ski gear or rain gear in the summer or in the in the hunting season, and it's just like all Gore-Tex, right? Like it has its limitations, but it. it it works for the most part. Totally. Uh, why don't we get into uh, equipment as far as archery tackle goes, and maybe how uh, you know it's evolved for you and what you're using currently? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I started with hand-me-down recurves. My dad has quite a few of them, and uh, hunted for a long time with a bow that was my grandpa's bow. It was a 58-inch Red Wing Hunter that I still have. Very cool. And uh, I was 45 at 28. And uh, that was my main bow for, like, up into my 20s. And then uh, when – and I always, always wooden arrows. Um, I was really into making my own wooden arrows. Um, yes, you're – Started uh, from, out – From our camp, are you – Well, you getting... I, I'll, I'll put an asterisk on that. I, like, okay. Past tense, always into wooden arrows. Okay. <laughs> Well, well, we'll get you back. So I, we'll get you back. I, I, well, I, actually, I, have, I have plans to get back on it, but I'll, t- I'll explain my reasoning here. So, okay. um, And when I started, uh, my dad and his 
buddy somehow had a like met there used to be a company in Alaska that made compressed Alaska yellow cedar shafts. Yeah. I think they were what people refer to as forge wood, but I could be wrong about that. It was the um, folks but, from Oregon sold their equipment to yeah. the folks in Alaska, and they were making shafts. And now the, that equipment is in Canada, and it's supposed to be fired up to make some some sick. Oh goods. no way! That's coming through rumor. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. That's really cool to know. So those things, I I would account. Like, so my dad and his buddy went when something happened up here. Somehow, I don't know how this all happened, but they acquired like a couple buckets full of these things all like, you know, no, no ID on spines or weights, but I didn't know anything about that, honestly, at that time. And so, um, my dad wasn't really interested in hunting with them. He was pretty tried and true aluminum guy. His friend didn't really want them. So they all basically ended up, my brothers weren't interested in dealing with it. So it was all on me and I killed everything with those. I mean, I bet you those, I still have some, I weighed one the other day. I mean, we're talking like 800 grains for like a 45 pound bow that I was only drawing to 26 inches. Me, pounds per inch was insane, right? Or uh, or, uh, grains per per pound was insane. Uh, But I shot those things through caribou. I shot them through moose. Like they were awesome. Um, Deadly and quiet, right? They were. The downside to them was uh, they were. I I didn't have like. I was dealing with like a teenager's budget. I didn't have like lacquers or things like that. All I had was linseed oil. Right. And it was okay, but they would, um, they would swell up and become oval. (laughs) 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 With a lot of water. (laughs) Didn't didn't shoot that well when they were ovals. No. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but they would last a season or two. I still have a few of them laying around. What, uh, what heads were you gluing on them? Oh man, so like I said, traditional bow hunter magazine, big big influence on me. Ed Ashby stuff, like I was pretty pretty science nerdy kid, and that just like really spoke to me from the first time I saw it. And so I was like on the Grizzlies from I think Zwickies for the first moose and caribou, and then it was all all Grizzlies from then on. And I still have Grizzlies in my quiver. I, I've experimented with a lot of stuff since then, but all the early stuff was all Grizzlies for sure. Cool, very cool, cool. So. Um, as, now I as go you, because I just made up a dozen arrows this year with boiled linseed oil. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, yeah, I, I did. I was fine. like, you know I, what? That I had a lot of a lot in this desert, you know, and it's real sunny, and I get that lacquer on there, and it, the sun will kind of shine off of it. So I was like, hey, mm. I'm just going to do this this year. So we'll, well see you, how they do in the late season, I guess. You know what I did, Bob? I was getting tired of those shiny arrows, also. My, uh, my, uh, arrows this year, before I fletched them, I took steel wool and I just knocked that yep. shine off of them and they're awesome. Yep. I was going to say that too. Steel wool. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I went to, um, I went to, to fur and spruce for quite a while when I, when I, and I, I was starting to learn like about tuning as I got, you know, into high school and older and like matching arrows to my bow and realized those arrows were most of them <laughs> weren't, weren't really well matched to my bow. How so I shot a lot of spruce and, and fir and stuff. How does spru- I have yet to get my hands on some spruce. And I shoot a higher spine, 80, 85s. Um, mm-hmm. How does the spruce compare to the fir? Because I shoot fir. Uh, so it's been a few years. Um, I, I kind of transitioned to fir for the last few years that I shot wooden arrows a lot, which was about five or six years ago. 
and uh, it's heavier, which is why I went with it. I thought it was heavier. Um, um, I got tired of both both of them breaking because um, I've started shooting a little heavier bows too. And uh, I, I what I really want to try now is I'm, I'm I've been I've been all pretty much all carbon for five years. Kodiak kind of did that to me, and uh, uh, I'd like to try some footed arrows with some heavy hardwood footing for that FOC and the durability up front. I think that might be the ticket. I've been shooting. Uh... Uh, 7580s and 8085 Sherwood uh, shafts mm-hmm. first, and I stump yep. a lot. Like I do a lot of stumping, and I, I think when you get into the higher spine classes, uh, I mean they are strong. They can I can hit rocks. I mean they are uh, front on front impact is very impressive. If you side glance mm. something, you, you you can lose an arrow. Um, but I'm really mm-hmm. impressed with the the strength of a Doug Fir shaft in those higher spine classes. I never break them. Oh, that's a, huh, that's good to know. And you're shooting like like 60 pound bow or something like that. I'm assuming. Um, I shoot 54 at 30. Okay. Um, and I'm shooting a uh, uh, either a 160 Grizzly or a 190 Tough Head, depending on the, okay. the 885s yep. or the 7580s. Gotcha. Yeah, they're quiet and re- really durable for sure. And Guys, you're up in like the 600, 700 grain? Yeah, 640 to 700, depending on the setup. Yeah, like 12, 13 grains per pound or so. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's quiet. Um, I think a lot of guys don't realize that you can have a match set of wood arrows, uh, spine and weight and that they fly, you know, perfectly and are durable. I mean, they exist. It, it is more work for sure. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's not. Man, that's good to know. I, I need to look into the fur again. I, I guess I don't recall having them fail a lot, but I just got the main thing was, is I started hunting Kodiak a lot. Like, you know, I was living there a lot of the time and I was hunting there all the time and it's just so wet and I'm pretty hard on stuff, especially on, I was pretty obsessed with goat hunting and still am. And, uh, I, you know, your one goat hunt, a brand new riser, recently refinished riser. It looks like it's, you know, been through a war, like, you know, yeah. they're all scratched up and I've got dings all over them and scratches all over the limbs. I don't know how it got there. And the same I with know. arrows. And I always want pretty stuff and then I'm always mean to it for sure. Uh, yeah. No. I just worry that like, the arrows with the water and the scratches, no. like, I'm going to start compromising no. the shafts, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I hunt in a lot of uh, I'm on the coast here. Uh, it's always raining. I'm always in the in the wet, shooting in the wet. I've shot arrows and lost them, and then found them. You know, at the 3D course months later, where they hmm. lived out in the wet. Um, I dip them four times in uh, Daly's Profin, and I don't have any problems with uh, moisture uh, in my arrows at all. Zero. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna, I think I'm going to come around. I was already planning on trying to transition back this winter for next summer for next hunting season so i think i'm on the hunt for the right wood arrow just, Hash- just talk to carson over at sherwood sure yeah he'll, uh, he'll hook you up okay yeah he'll help you he'll hook you up they'll they do tail tapers on them and uh nice. all that so yeah man hashtag trad arrows matter so i'm into it what uh how about your bows we started kind of going down that road oh yeah so uh so when my grandpa died, 
he was like a hundred years old and he left a little, like you know, a little bit of money to my dad to do something with us. And so we all got uh, custom bows for the first time in our lives, my brothers and I. And uh, we, uh, we all family decision was to get black widows, you know, like we, whatever it was, uh, they're, they're great bows. Right. And they, they hold up real well. So I got a, uh, 53 at 28, uh, two piece black widow longbow. And, uh, and that was my main bow for at least three or four years, four or five years. Um, and then I started getting like obsessed with, you know, buying and selling used bows and trying other stuff. And mainly it was because I wanted a little shorter bow. That bow was 62 inches. And, uh, for, you know, I spent so much time on my, as I'm sure you guys do, like crawling around on my belly and my hands and knees and thick places. And more than anywhere in the mountains, like strapping that 62 inch longbow across my pack and climbing with two hands, you know, and wiggling through rocks and stuff. It just was pretty cumbersome. I really missed the shorter recurve. Um, so I've been, I've tried just about every short bow, like the shrews and the, the big Jim Thunderchild and a couple of different recurves. And, uh, I still haven't found like my perfect bow. Have you like, tried Tolkien? what I've been playing with. You know, I, I love the looks of his bows. And the reason that I haven't is because I, I, I need a two piece. And the only bow that I ever really struggled with from a two piece standpoint was a, um, a shrew that was made by Greg Coffee, beautiful bow, but it had that bow bolt, the two-piece, you know, yep. connector. Yep. And then that thing gave me so many headaches when I was out hunting, whether I was trying to put it together or take it apart. Like that bow bolt was just a nightmare. Like I just, if it, unless it was like indoors, you know, dry conditions, you know, normal room you, temperature. If it was, I do you remember? Do you remember if your bow bolt? Uh, bow had the riser was if it was wood or if they were using like a a G10 or it was diamond wood. It was that impregnated that like uh, pressure impregnated maple or whatever. Maple. It is. Yeah. Now now everybody's only putting those bull bolts in that uh, phenolic or micarta, mm-hmm. and I know Bob's got one and I've had one and I know several guys that have them like really no problems whatsoever have you had problems bob with yours coming yeah. in no but again i'm not, haven't been hunting in alaska on cody either yeah well that's good to hear I, i'm willing to give it another try for sure i i just and i like the idea that your hands on the wood not i don't particularly love beaver tail grips that all those two pieces come with when they have the you yeah. know the sleeve system um I'll, I'll give another look I, I like that idea i also heard you know i shoot a I, I, my draw length also like, you know, right around like 30 and a half, 31. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and I have broken a few bows that were supposed to be like fine at my draw length. And that wood bow bolt system made kind of creep me out after a while <laughs> for yeah. that reason too. <laughs> sure. So what are you shooting right now? Uh, I just came back from my moose hunt, uh, with a, I, I have a 58 inch, um, big Jim Thunderchild two piece that I picked up secondhand. And at my draw length, it's, uh, it's like right in the like 64 pound range. Right. Um, and, uh, and I, I did my goat hunt this year with a Morrison recurve. Um, I, uh, with that, like the fancy carbon limb one, I, I was, Goats are my like. Let's just let, let's just get this out there. Goats are like my nemesis when it comes to being able to like cleanly kill an animal. Like it's so frustrating. But those things can take 
bullets and arrows like no animal I've ever encountered. And I just wanted to make sure that no matter what heavy bone I hit on that thing, I was going to go through it. And uh, I didn't want to shoot 70-pound bow, so I played around with those more efficient recurves. And I just wanted to make two holes in a goat. <laughs> That's all I and I don't love those. I, I, I mean, the Morrison bows are beautiful. They're super well-made. I, I definitely prefer the look and feel of my longbow, and I'm probably gonna, just going to stick with that from now on. But, you know, it's I shot them through a chronograph. I mean, I'm shooting a heavy arrow a whole lot harder than I am out of a longbow with those things. And yeah. uh, I felt like I needed that for my goat hunt this year. Very cool. Yeah, those are definitely very efficient. It had the super hooks on them? Yep. yep. And you use a bow-mounted quiver, I presume. I do, yeah. Um, like a Selway strap-on is what I've been uh, uh, pretty into. Seems to hold up pretty well. I, I was trying to kind of configure my own because I like to be able to take the quiver off the bow with the arrows in the quiver. I like that link between the, um, you know, yeah. the hood and the, the gripper. Yeah. Um, and I haven't quite found the right quiver yet that's like light and holds well and takes six arrows because um, I usually just take whatever, however many arrows I can hold in the quiver. I don't bother carrying a bunch of extra arrows with me. And uh, I like being able to just take everything off and strap it on my pack for a climb or something. And I still haven't found the perfect solution for that. Yeah. We do the Great Northerns with the wrap-on, but they only hold five mm-hmm. arrows. But they, they do. You can pull them right off and put them right back on. Um, well, so and I, I have tried those. This, this might be sacrilege, but I've been shooting those, like, micro-diameter carbon arrows. Yeah. Again, like with the goal of like, of like you know maximum FOC. Yeah. And uh, and the only company that makes a gripper that I found that'll hold them is Selway. Oh no, uh, Great Northern has a uh, extra small gripper. I shot I shot oh, those. I, yeah, I shot those micro uh, carbons uh, before I switched to Wood Arrows. Actually, yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. So they make three or four different grippers. So they do make one that that holds them for oh. sure. So, uh, tell us, uh, you know, like how, how do you alligate, like in, in Alaska, I mean, there's so much opportunity. How do you, you know, make your plans for the year and are they the same generally? Or are you, are you always looking for the new, new place and new adventure? Oh, a little bit of both. I mean, uh, there's, there's some like, I'll probably, go to Kodiak for blacktails at least once a year for the rest of my life, as long as I'm able. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's like, I consider it like I was telling my wife the other day, um, it's like my dessert after a, a big season of hunting, you know, it's like, it's like, I just, it's just pure enjoyment just to roam around down there with my bow for a few weeks at the end of the season, reflect on the year, be by myself. It's just great. So I'll always do that. Um, I really enjoy goat hunting. I, I love mountain goat hunting. Um, I also really like sheep hunting and for the last few years I've been kind of alternating each year, like either going on a goat hunt or going on a sheep hunt and, uh, I'll probably keep that ball rolling a little bit. Uh, I have some mixed, you know, sheep are so cool and there's, there's not, you know, a ton of rams out there and, uh, I don't feel like I need to kill a lot of doll sheep in my life, but I sure love hunting for them. And so, uh, and that's another great thing about, <laughs> great thing about taking a longbow, right? You don't, it's not really a problem. <laughs> you don't have to worry about <laughs> killing too many. <laughs> but, uh, 
but I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably keep alternating. Maybe some years I'll try to do both. Um, my wife really loves uh, mountain hunting too, particularly sheep hunting. And so, uh, and then moose, I'll probably, I really love moose hunting. It's a little hard for me to justify that much meat every year. And so like I did a moose hunt this year, it was really fun. I might go again next year because I just love having at least one hunt every year where I'm like in the woods a lot of the time. I get, I spend so much time like above tree line and tundra that I miss being in the woods. Um, but moose is tough to do solo. Moose is, I don't find it as enjoyable, um, for the most part on the road system, which is kind of how I grew up moose hunting just because there's so many, you know, I get four wheelers and boats and guys out, you know, shooting and calling and stuff that, I get a little, I don't feel, doesn't feel like the wilderness experience as much, but moose hunting, you know, on a fly-in hunt, it's kind of like that thing with early season fly-in deer hunting. You know, you the, the meat is stressful when you put a moose down and you're, you're relying on a, a bush plane, a float plane to come get it. It's pretty stressful. I mean, it, it, we've had, you know, like, like the whole world, Alaska's getting warmer and every fall is like a little bit warmer and a little bit you know, for a little bit later and a little bit longer. And, uh, it, it's, you know, even this year we had some cold, clear nights, but I stressed about the meat right up until it was in my garage. And even then I was so worried that it was going to get warm out while I was hanging it just the last few days. So yeah, I was talking to Sterling. Long, we did a last answer, time with yeah. Sterling Holbrook and he was, he was talking about, there's been a, you know, a few years recently where like they went, but they, almost purposely didn't shoot a moose because it was so warm, you know? Yep. Yeah. I mean, my, my dad has his, like, his hike to, he, he refuses to use any kind of motorized access, which I really respect. Um, and uh, he, uh, he'll, he'll, he has a hike-in spot and, you know, he usually, you know, every other year he gets a cow tag or gets a spike fork. It's pretty much gets a moose every year and he pretty much rifle hunts these days. He's in his mid seventies now for the moose anyway, but, he yeah he'll he'll just like he'll stay home uh, a lot of times now in early September because it's just like yeah you can't get it cool fast enough with an animal that big and uh, you know our temperatures this summer were insane but if you look at all the temperature charts for Alaska especially the high Arctic I mean it's just been insane the last whole last decade and you know I talked to um, you know, I work in Kotzebue, which is way above the Arctic Circle, and my patient population there is like 95% Anupiaq, you know, like Eskimo, basically. And the elders, you know, they all hunt. They've all spent their whole lives hunting. And, I mean, I don't, it's like I never get a day without an unsolicited conversation about how crazy the weather has been, you know, over the last, whatever, 10 or 20 years and how different it is. Like, unsolicited, I don't even say a word. They just come in and start talking about how it's affecting their hunting and fishing. And so it's it's a real thing that's... Uh, changing hunting seasons up here i think yeah yeah it's it same thing down here you know we have some migratory deer hunts and stuff that used to always get snow and now it's now it's like a rarity to get it you know and they say it's going to be you know all 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 information suggests it's going to get worse unfortunately so i don't know what that's going to mean but uh, i'm definitely finding myself wanting to moose hunt later as i know a lot of people are and uh yeah, it's just a little more stressful overall with the meat, for sure. Maybe t- tell us your story about your moose hunt this year. That thing looked like a giant. Oh, it was pretty. It was a really fun hunt. Um, went to a spot I'd never gone before. Um, 
with a friend I used to work with who I had never hunted before. So it was a lot of, a lot of unknowns <laughs> going into it. Um, but, uh, we got, we got dropped on a little, uh, little beaver pond kind of lake thing. And, uh, I uh, didn't see much for the first few days. Hear a lot of moose around, um, and uh, you know, just started feeling out the area, figuring out where they were. And my friend was rifle hunting, so he was pretty content to like sit and call. And uh, uh, I found that to be pretty effective moose hunting. I've definitely killed moose calling and just sitting and calling for a long time. But uh, we started on uh, September nineteenth. We started hunting, and a lot of the big bulls are already with their kind of have a harem at that point and they're going to be pretty reluctant to in my experience come to a cow or bull call once they're in that kind of mode you know at least not, not going to come more than a hundred yards or so to investigate and so um you know this is probably some some voodoo but i feel like i can tell uh with moose like which cow calls mean what, you know, which are cows that are on their own kind of getting attention, which are trying to like fend off a young, a young bull and which are, uh, uh, with a herd bull, you know, what the kind of sounds they're making when they're kind of with other cows. And, um, at least on this hunt, it kind of worked out for me. Um, I, I'm about the fourth day I zeroed in on uh, some really unusual cow calling that I kind of thought was probably a, cow with in a harem or cows in a harem with other bull and uh i was able to get eyes on him i uh, found the big bull that was with him he was with two other bulls and about four or five cows at that point it was a real stormy day and i got um made a lot of <laughs> made a lot of dumb mistakes um but was able to get about 25 yards from all of them and um almost had a shot. Like he, he came by the one I wanted, the big one. And, um, I moved a little too much. And, uh, after trying to reposition to, I, I didn't, I wasn't ready quick enough when he walked out. Uh, another, another error, you know, didn't have an arrow knocked when I should have. And then, uh, the, I got busted by a cow and, and, and they all kind of circled downwind and blew out. And then it took me another three days to find them again. And I spent like another, like, Oh, three or four hours trying to get in on them, in on the group again. And, uh, uh, Oh, that time I was, I was 30 yards from, from the big bull. I had a cow at like 15. Uh, so I was kind of pinned down and, uh, the only like, you know, non airplane motor I heard that whole like 12 days I was out there, a jet boat cruised by the little Creek, the little river. I was about a hundred yards away from, and I wouldn't say it like I'm making excuses here, but I wouldn't say it like, scared them but they definitely like all stopped doing what they were doing and walked away and uh and i didn't get on them again that day um and then it took me another couple days to find them again and in the meantime i had encountered quite a few other um kind of satellite bulls like young bulls um some real close one little guy a little paddle boy almost got touched with my bow it was pretty exciting and uh just having a great time just you know seeing moose and um and then on the on the 10th or 11th day, I, uh, found the, the harem again, found him at like nine o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning. Guys, I, I had to paddle down a little pack raft to get to where they were. So I paddled down. So yeah, it was probably like nine o'clock and, uh, I was, it was so cool. Like, I was within 75 yards of this group of 10 moose 
moose all all sides of me. Cow almost stepped on me at one point. Um, it was just like the coolest day of moose I've ever had in my life. And uh, just so much moose noise. It was just, I mean, I'll probably never have an experience like that again with so many moose so close. And uh, I had a couple opportunities where I could have shot the smaller ones and I was able to restrain myself. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not like a trophy hunter. I've never even had a single animal scored in my life, but it's, the challenge is fun, right? Of getting the, the big one. Okay. And, uh, uh, they all kind of wandered off after about four or five hours of just kind of, kind of zooming around me and coming in and coming out and I made a little, a little bit of a risky move. I kind of crawled across this clearing through the tall grass just on the hopes that they would, I'd, I've been watching them do this a lot where they kind of just like, they pick an area and they just circle around and they just kind of just keep trampling down the same like hundred, hundred yard kind of radius. And I just kind of set up and, um, after another hour or so, um, they started moving back my direction. This moose started just kind of, kind of streaming past me. And, uh, the, the big one, uh, came by at about, uh, they're so big. It always seems like they're closer than they are, but, um, I bet it was, I was saying to myself in my head, it was about 12 yards, but I bet he was more like 15 or 20. And, um, and, uh, yeah, uh, shot him and he, uh, he, bedded down uh it was a i think i misjudged just just like on that like mental subconscious calculation you do i think i misjudged him a little bit um as closer than he was and i hit him a little low um through the through the shoulder up into the chest and uh uh but he bedded down like 30 yards away like all the moose kind of kind of scattered and he he just bedded down right away and he tried to get up and um and I started playing that game with myself, like second guessing whether it was a lethal hit or not for quite a while. Cause he would still lift his head up every once in a while. And it, at first I thought I had heart shot him. It was kind of low in the chest. And then I realized I didn't, and I didn't dare sneak in to check the blood cause it was like pretty exposed. And, uh, I made this big circle around downwind of him and snuck into about 20 yards, 25 yards and just waited. And then that like, uh, it's another really bad decision. Uh, a little devil on my shoulder was like, you should get closer. You know, you like, you, you should try to sneak in closer. So when he stands up, it's a slam dunk. And I didn't really think he could stand up anymore. And of course he did. And, uh, and then all he presented me with was his chest. And even with my like, you know, 700 grain arrow, 65 pound bow, a frontal shot on a moose is something I'm just, I don't know. I probably should have taken it, but I think he would have jumped with, being that close with that much movement. So I, and he just kind of stepped into the brush and it took me another, uh, slow three hours of great lamentation and sadness thinking that I had totally blown it before I found him again, like 75 yards away. And that was the end of it. <laughs> so you so, broke his little, shoulder little huh? at the end. Didn't break it. No, it, um, it entered next through the, through the, um, it was, I hit him about probably three, I, I you know, I was shooting kind of like right for the crease and, uh, I was probably like four inches low and like four inches forward. And so it went through like that, uh, basically like above the level of his, like the level of his kind of belly, lower chest kind of, uh, and up about five inches or six inches angling up. Cause I was down pretty low relative to him. And so uh, when I, when I cut him up, I basically, I had taken out the bottom of both lungs but not any great vessels and not the heart. 
and it had exited. It exited. Um, it was kind of a weird exit. It exited like kind of through the other shoulder, but didn't hit bone. And when he took his first step, he broke the arrow off. So, um, so it only, it only, it was like sticking out the other side based on what I could find, like maybe like six inches. So it didn't like zip through him, just kind of stuck in him, but, but had a, had an exit wound for sure. That was with a two twenty five tough head with a 125 grain adapter and a 100 grain, uh, insert. So I had, uh, 400 450 up 450 up front um with a light shaft so i think the total weight was like 730 or something like that some that's some medicine right there for sure she should have been yeah that's a big animal huh <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's like like everybody said it's all about shot placement you know i killed that moose when i was you know a little kid the first one that was a 42 pound bow that I probably drew 25 inches and shot it with a two blade wiki on a, that was my only aluminum arrow animal. And it was like a, you know, a whatever super light, you know, and that went through both lungs and stuck out the other side and the moose, the cow died, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty improbably. I was probably, you know, honestly drawing like 33 pounds at my draw length. <laughs> uh. So, so yeah. but yeah. Hit that sweet spot. It doesn't really matter, but like you said, it's good to plan for plan for the worst, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's the deal. That's why I've been trying to uh, you know build up to a little heavier bow and choose the heaviest arrow with the best head that I can for sure. So you know, like you said, plan for the worst. Is there any kind of uh, social scene as far as traditional archery where you live? Do you have other friends that? Uh, shoot do you ever go out and shoot 3d i mean or is this kind of is it not really worked that way for you out there yeah it's always been this like very like like even a lot of my close friends for a long time didn't know this was like something that i spent so much time doing uh, i don't know why it's not like i'm embarrassed about it but it's always been this like very personal thing that i either did by myself and shared with you know within my family and I just ne- haven't gotten in, like when we were really little, I think, like my dad's friend took us to some of those shoots, like when we were, you know, in junior high or whatever, but, uh, I haven't had any, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to become more active. Like I, I joined Alaska Bow Hunters Association last Good year and I've tried joining some other organizations. So I think it's important. Um, but that's all like stuff that I've realized, you know, as like a, you know, mid thirties adult, uh, sure. prior to that, I was like pretty much just real quiet, real reclusive, just did my own thing. And nothing wrong with that. Uh, sounds uh, a lot like my favorite black-tailed deer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, that, let's, go, let's go full circle and uh, maybe wrap this uh, up with uh, maybe a little more Sitka black-tailed deer since it sounds to be something you're pretty passionate about and I'm in love with. Oh, uh, so if a guy's wanting to uh, come up and do that, it sounds like the, the velvet hunt is a hoot and then the pre-rut is an obvious, uh, time for some action. Um, for a guy that's coming from out of state, uh, which one would you pick first and, and, and you know why? They're both really fun. The, the biggest, the biggest downside to the late season hunt is the days are way shorter. You know, you start to basically by November, you know, you first light on Kodiak is maybe like eight thirty nine, and you're pretty much done hunting by seven. So, you know, 10 hours at best of hunting. 
Whereas in August, you know, you can start hunting at three or four in the morning and hunt till 10 PM or later. Um, which I just, you know, I just love maximizing my hunting day. That's just like, that's why I hunt. Everybody's like obsessed with how, how good the goat hides are later in October and November. But I just love, you know, you know, hike the mountains like all day long. (laughs) It's just so fun. Uh, so, uh, and being able to hunt them in the high country early is really cool. Being able to hunt them kind of like sheep, you know, climb around the rocks. Um, it's really, really fun. Uh, the hunting them in the rut, you know, that they're just moving so much, you know, even if you're not, I've, I've had some success calling them, but even if you're not calling them, you're, uh, there's just so much movement that it's, uh, it's probably more the, the November hunt is probably more what people imagine when they think about like, kind of going to blacktail paradise and just being surrounded by them. And I, I, the caveat to that is I've done a few fly out hunts where, you know, I, you know, only saw a couple deer a day, you know, it's, it's not every year is the same. Winters are tough, different areas have different amounts of pressure and it's, it's hard to know exactly. You know, and I also have had hunts where I had to, you know, hike two or three miles every day to kind of find good where, where they really were. So it's not always just like you land and there's this deer trampling down your tent every morning when you wake up. It's, um, uh, but, uh, it's my understanding that, that, that they got hit hard a few winters back, but they're coming back pretty strong. Like this year, things were looking yeah. pretty good. I think this is going to be, I honestly think this is going to be a really good year. Uh, last year was really good, uh, from number standpoint, from, from to the places that I, I did two hunts last year. One, like with that guy Thor who owns a packraft company, we did this really weird, 10 day, uh, pack craft deer hunt last year. And then, uh, and then I did my, my usual late season, uh, solo hunt and, uh, both hunts numbers were pretty good. Uh, less so on the pack craft hunt. We struggled a little bit to find deer on that hunt, but numbers were good, but mostly like what I would gauge as two and three year old bucks were like 90% of what we were seeing. And, uh, on both of those trips. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking that that means this year, because we had another, Kodiak had another fairly mild winter, I think. It's going to be a lot more like three- and four-year-olds around. Yeah. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, I think we they had a pretty mellow winter down there again, I think, from what all, everything I could tell from my August hunt down there. And um, So we'll see. Cool. Well, tell us, a, tell us a good Sitka blacktail story. Give us a good one. The blacktails, you know, they're so different than the other animals I hunt, where the other animals I hunt, I get to, like, usually pursue the same animal for days and days. And the blacktail, it's always like this quick thing where it's like you encounter them and it's all over within an hour or two, right? It's not like the like sheep and goat and moose and stuff where you like, you encounter the same animal day after day after day and finally make it work. Um, I think of a good, uh, it was kind of exciting. Well, uh, I think it was last year. Uh, this was pretty funny. I, uh, my wife came out and joined me, uh, with a few days left in the hunt to, to do some hunting for, for herself. And I really wanted, I had been really holding out for an old buck and, uh, the, she was supposed to arrive like the next morning and it was like the afternoon. And, uh, I was like, well, I really want to just for the sake of the meat, I really want to get one hanging tonight so that I can get one. Cause you never know, like we put up a, an electric fence, but you never know, like you're out hunting all day, like inevitable eventually i'm going to lose some meat to a bear or some foxes or something so it's always really nice when you can put a bag of meat in the plane and get it out of there and you know get it hanging in your buddy's buddy's hanger and so i was like i really want to kill one i really want to get some meat the next 
you know, the next buck that gives me a shot, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, shoot him. And so, uh, I was working this little drainage that I knew pretty well and I had done a little bit of calling and it, this was like, you know, rut time and hadn't really seen much, but I, I there was a lot of deer kind of just moving around that morning and I was keeping a real low profile, kind of just staying real low and trying to not disturb the area. And I just snuck in and found this little spot that had a few shooting lanes and seemed like it had some good trails going by. Uh, this buck, decent buck, popped up about, it was like right when I stood up to adjust something or like break a branch or something so that I could you know, have a little better shooting lane at this trail that came along this little creek. And he stood up right as I did. It kind of came around the corner right as I did, about 100 yards. And he looked right at me. And I was like, oh, this is over. Like, yeah, this year, this, this is really bad timing. This year saw me, you know, in my worst possible moment, like fully exposed here full like human silhouette and I sat down and uh this was definitely one of those bucks that was like pretty rut crazed because whatever he saw he was like oh there's another animal and I want to potentially have sex with it so I'm <laughs> gonna go there <laughs> and uh he basically just like he started moving toward me and I and I thought oh he's just gonna kind of spook away and within like 60 seconds he was just like bearing down on me and came up to me where I pretty much could have touched him with my bow tip. He just came just running into me, just kind of broke through the brush that was in front of me, like almost put his nose on me. <laughs> I was like, whoa, hey. <laughs> and then he turned away and offered a good uh, a good uh, quartering away shot. And so I was able to put him on the, on the meat rack that I had built and send him out the next morning when my wife came in. <laughs> oh, that is so. Not a lot of skill involved in that one. That's for sure. That's pretty much just dumb luck. <laughs> uh, I think that that's why that place is high on my list because uh, the the beauty, and I keep hearing stories of deer that want to, uh, you know, be petted, want to come home with you. <laughs> I mean, those are the kind of deer that I want to hunt. Yeah, I do. I'm well, due for some of that action. Well, and of course, it's inevitable that when you see the one out there, that you're like, oh, that's a really special old buck he's really cool i want that one he's gonna be just as wary as an august deer and you know be like checking his checking every direction and not wanting to <laughs> that's been my experience but of course <laughs> but it is really cool it is really really cool to have you know it seems like every time i go down there i'll have like one or two encounters like like this particular buck and the most of them are like most animals during the rut you know they're wary they're they're aware they're paying attention if you blow it, you blow it. But they're definitely, I'm sure, way more forgiving than uh, what you guys are dealing with. Well, I know James loves to talk about the blacktails, but we can't have you on without talking about sheep. Um, <laughs> there, there's not a lot of guys that kill doll sheep with longbows, so uh, let's let's talk about the sheep a little bit. Are you are you doing flying hunts there? Are you hunting off the road systems, backpacking in? Like, what's what's your uh, sheep without giving away your secrets? Yeah. So, um, well, the most recent one, I was really lucky. I had a, um, I drew a lottery permit for the Chugach and the, the Chugach is the mountain range, uh, where I live. It's the kind of the mountains that stretch kind of from near where I live in Girdwood down to Valdez. It's a really cool mountain range, pretty rugged where I've spent, you know, most of my life skiing and doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, there's an archery, there's a couple of archery tags that are available. There are some, there are non-resident ones, um, that you guys could put in for, so I had that one, and um, it's a 20-day season, and I basically just uh, cleared my uh, – or, sorry, 25-day season. I basically just cleared my uh, schedule for that. It was month of September, and uh, I did uh, 
three, I went in three times with seven days worth of food, seven or eight days worth of food on my own. And uh, I was really looking for a, a special older ram finally on the, at the very end. And I had kind of given up on getting one at that point. I'd come to terms with the fact that I had, you know, let some go and messed up with quite a few opportunities. And it kind of, it's, uh, it's a really long story. It's like we're talking about 20 days of hunting, but uh, 20, <laughs> like 21 days of hunting before I killed it. But uh, eventually the, it all lined up and I was able to, uh, it wasn't, there was a really old one that I spent quite a bit of time trying to get, who I think got, pretty sure got killed last year from some photos I saw. But um, I never got him, but I got this one that was, it was nine years old and full curl and really cool. And uh, uh, that was really, really special hunt. So didn't really answer your question, but that's the most recent one. Um, last sheep season was my wife's turn. And so that was all about her. And that was, uh, we did a flight and then, uh, and then hiked quite a bit, hiked like a couple days from where we flew in. And, uh, she was able to get a ram. And the, the funniest part of that story is that was her first sheep. Um, she'd got sheep hunting with her dad quite a bit before, but the funniest part was, uh, we know unequivocally that our, uh, our son came into being, in the tent after she shot her sheep that day. <laughs> well, he's going to be a sheep hunter then, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, we'll see, but uh, but uh, it was nothing it's like pretty a good celebration. <laughs> I won't get into that. Yeah, it was it was really funny. It was really really funny story, but uh, yeah, uh, unknown to us, he uh, we 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 hiked out with. Uh, uh, <laughs> the makings of a baby <laughs> and a lot of sheep meat. <laughs> a lot of sheep meat. Your, your wife sounds like quite the trooper. You, you were telling me earlier you guys even did a backpack trip with your baby already, right? Oh, man. that Honestly, I've had a great season so far. Um, that was kind of a highlight. I mean, you guys know like it, it changes your world more than you ever think it would. And uh, I definitely was naive to how much it would change my just perspective on the world. We, yeah, when he was, he was born May 12th, so August 1st, so about two and a half months old. We, you know, I, I love to be down at Kodiak when the, for opening day, which is August 1st. And we, we, we had a lot of friends down there who hadn't met him yet that were all, we were really overdue for a visit down there with the baby. So we went down there and, uh, spent a couple of days seeing friends and, uh, doing the rounds with the baby. And then, uh, we did a, little multi-day backpack trip where, uh, you know, it, it, you guys know at that age, they don't need much. It's pretty easy. <laughs> and so, uh, so, uh, I carried the camping gear and she strapped him on and I threw my bow on my pack and, uh, up we went and, uh, checked up into the high country and, uh, spent a couple days deer hunting. And, um, I actually, I blew it on a really nice buck. Well, it would have been so cool. She was, uh, she was like a hundred yards away, 150 yards away. And he started to whimper. So she started breastfeeding him <laughs> right there. <laughs> and, uh, and so I didn't hear, I didn't hear a peep from him. And I snuck up to like 20 yards, this nice buck and waited. And when he stood up, I, I, I have no excuse. I just shot over his back. I just totally blew it. And, uh, I was lamenting more like the fact that it would have been such a cool story if I got him <laughs> than actually that I didn't get the buck. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man, I, I, but, Bob, I love this guy. He keeps coming back to blacktails. You try to get him <laughs> off him and he comes right back to him. <laughs> this guy's oh, awesome. They're pretty cool. Well, I can't, I can't hunt anything else with the baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 
was pretty cool. That was a pretty special hunt. And then I did my, and then, you know, it actually really changed the, the, the flow of my goat hunt this year. Cause I, normally I, I always try to wait till the very last day possible before I, um, you, you know, like you guys, it's time to opt to go hunting and you spent this money to get out there and you want to get all the days possible. Like the worst thing you can do is shoot the, shoot it on the first couple days. Right. And so, uh, <laughs> I was in that usual mode where I was planning on just going right down to the bitter end. And plus you have a lot less food to carry out if you shoot the if you shoot your goat or <laughs> late in the hunt with a lot less weight. But, man, I was getting these, you know, I had that little in-reach thing, and my wife was texting me updates on the baby and things that were changing, and then she had a couple little concerns about him. And it was it was really different. It changed the whole thing. I, instead of wanting to, like, you know, stretch it out to the last minute, I started thinking, like, man, I, I located a Billy that I really liked. He was really cool, and he was uh, he was staying away from the, the, the herd, and I was like, I'm, I really want to just I, – normally I would probably have just waited as long as possible and done a whole bunch of hiking and looked around, and I was like, I'm going to go kill that Billy and go home and <laughs> see my baby. <laughs> and I did. It was it was a real real game changer from that perspective. I could, uh, it was real different. Real different motivations. Yeah, no kidding. And I'm sure the wife probably loves getting texts that, yeah, I saw a good one, but I'm going to wait to the last day to get it. Yeah, that probably isn't going to go oh. anymore. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I don't think I said any text like that. I think I said <laughs> trying really hard to get done as quick as possible because I miss you guys. <laughs> uh, so, which is which was pretty true. Like I, I think if I, I was. It was like I said, totally different game than any before. Like normally, I just like settle in and do all these walks and blast all these goats and just really enjoy the time. And I was I was way more motivated to shoot an arrow this time than I ever have been before. So, yeah, different different program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different sure. different mind, different mindset for sure. Does that change after they're little tiny? Do you start feeling yeah. like it's okay to be away from them longer? Yeah, actually, <laughs> there comes a point where you're looking forward to the trip. And and I, I, I like I'll tell my friends I'm like, do I should I feel bad that I'm not thinking about them at all like zero like <laughs> like like I'm just like trying to immerse myself in this situation and uh, like it's a vacation from the zoo that I call life yeah it's it totally changes <laughs> trust me okay yeah, once you have three of them like James then then I guess it changes. <laughs> yeah, and oh, they're not, man. and they're not innocent little babies anymore. Like when when they're <laughs> when they become little people, it's like yeah, they they can make their own food and they're okay. Okay, well then, good to know. Well, at some point, you want them to start coming with you, right? Yeah, absolutely, sure. absolutely. And you start to think you drag them around when they're young, and it's great. And you think that they're, you know, they're all in. But man, I'm having a problem with girls. Like I think if it's a little boy, they're they might be easier, but they they hit teenage and they just they're just not into the outdoors and shooting bows like they were when they were younger. I, I hope they come back around. I don't know. Yeah, me too. it's tough. It's a heart. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, we'll see. My wife keeps telling me I like I can't make I can't just mold him in my image and create create him as I want him. So he's going to be his own person, and she's probably right. <laughs> yeah, you made him in the right place, buddy. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> Think that'll influence? I don't know. We'll <laughs> uh, uh, that's awesome. Well, uh, you got uh, you got anything that you'd like to leave our listeners in uh, closing, Paul? Oh, I don't know. This it, <laughs> maybe this isn't the appropriate place for it, but I've just been obsessing lately. I think because of the 
because I have uh, my son and I've been seeing all this crazy weather, like I, I really hope that hunters are going to start getting on board with like advocating for some, uh, some changes from a climate change standpoint. Like I just feel like it's changing our world so fast and hunters have so much to lose. And I don't know, it, I, I think about it every day, especially during the hunting season, especially with him, like hoping he's going to be able to like chase caribou in the Arctic and doll sheep in the Chugach. Um, that it uh, it's it's been weighing really heavily on my mind as a hunter, I think, recently. And um, I don't know, it's kind of a dour, sour note to end on, but <laughs> it's definitely been heavy on my mind lately. And what do you what do you suggest? And what 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 uh, would you suggest uh, guys can uh, do to get involved or or to make a difference? Well, it, it's you know I read Don Thomas's book, and I know you guys have had him on. He's an awesome guy, and I read his book how how. Uh, Sportsman Save the World. I think I'm quoting the title right. And uh, you guys know the book I'm talking about, his book about conservation and hunters and the history of it? No, I haven't read that. I'll have to get it. Oh, you should check it out. It's, it's an awesome book. So he, he really outlines, like, how, you know, hunters and, and fishermen have really led, like, the effort in our, especially in North America, um, in the United States, like, the effort toward, like, preserving and conserving wild places and bringing back, you know, game populations. And you know, and they still are like hunters, the hunting community is still like a really powerful voice on conservation issues. And I feel like our voice is absent on this issue. And there's all this political tribalism and it's, you know, it's a red issue or a blue issue, which I find um, really irritating because I think it's an issue that's going to affect hunters. And, and my take is, and again, this is not speaking from like any kind of like organizational standpoint or anything other than just my own opinion, but, uh, you know, most hunters live in states that kind of lean a little conservative politically. And uh, I think that our voice is a powerful one to our representatives. And I've been, you know, I, I've been writing letters to my uh, congressman and, and senator, uh, you know, advocating that this is like an important thing. And I don't think it should be a red issue or a blue issue. I think it should be like an issue that matters to people, especially people who care about wild animals and wild places. And I kind of think that voice of the hunters is, is absent in the conversation and uh, would be a really powerful one. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, uh, I think, I, you know, like we get we get a lot of feedback from our listeners. You know, we have a lot of the, a lot of, I guess, the the right side and the left side also, you know. And um, yeah, I just yep. look at it as like, look what we have done in the last, you know, over here on the west side, you know, the last 150 years look what we've done. You know what I mean? Like we've totally changed everything. And, uh, yep. I yep. agree hunters. We, we foot the bill on most of it and we got to be responsible and I don't know what the answers are. I'm not a, I'm not a political guy. I don't, I don't know, you know, but, uh, I think it's good. We're having these conversations. I think, I think when you, when you go right and left and you're talking about most guys live in a conservative state, well, we don't, <laughs> we live in Portlandia <laughs> and I think the, you know, true. the downside, and this is just my personal, not trad quest affiliated opinion, but I think the downside to going too far the other way is, you know, we get a lot like predator control is huge, you know, here we mm -hmm. have none of mm -hmm. it and. I have, I grew up hunting just like you did, and I have areas that, that there's like, there's like nothing left. You know, guys that grew up with yeah. their family log in the area, and, you know, 
been hunting it for 70, 80 years and mm-hmm. now there's maybe one deer per square mile. I mean, it's just, it's public land and it's, it's pretty country, but you know, mm. you, you see the downside to not managing it and it's just, it's for sure. It's just a dead zone. Like there's just nothing there. No, no animals. It's just crazy. So I think, I think we're in a good time where we're kind of mixing, you know, like, you know, in the hunting community, I think we're mixing the, you know, the, the Bozeman hipsters and the, and the, you know, <laughs> and the, the rednecks. And, and I think it's good. We have these conversations, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't because they're just kind of one-sided. And I, I know, like like I said, we get a lot of the, another problem with the left side is, you know, guys freak out with the gun control and the, yeah, you know, the sure. DHA yep. green decoy stuff and blah, 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 blah. And like I said, we don't, yeah. we don't know the right, but the right answer or who's doing what, because there is a lot to it. And, you know, just doing that one with Don Thomas, it kind of opens up your eyes as to where people are getting funded and this and that and. Oh yeah, you know, gets into yeah. all those politics, but I think bottom line is, like you said, are is is what we're doing going to be around for our kids? And when you have kids, it's kind of scary to think. You know, I think of what it was like when I was a kid, growing up in my family and going and do our hunting trips with the whole family, and like that stuff doesn't happen anymore mm-hmm. because of all those reasons I just stated. You know, like the hunting is so yep. rough because of you know blame it on what you will but you know my family hunted deer in oregon and man that's kind of like a dying sport anymore yeah i I, I, I think that's the thing i just oh sorry go ahead oh i was just going to comment that i think that it's just so easy for everybody to um have their blinders on you know to live Mm -hmm. in their own bubble to live in their own world um you know we're, we're all guilty of i've got mine and it's it's when you go to you get away from just the weekend hunt or you know the back 40 hunt it's when you go to these wild places that you start to get different perspectives um and and i think that for us in the lower 48 not being up north like we're seeing some climate change for sure but it's not as extreme and you know when i go on instagram and i see a moose uh, and he's in someone's front yard and he's got a sprinkler on him. I, I think it's funny where it's, mm-hmm. it's not really funny, right? Like it's, things are, mm-hmm. things are changing and it's just not a reality, um, for a lot of people. And it's, so it's easy right. to, to, uh, pretend like it's not happening. So I think that yep. that's, I think probably a problem, um, across the board, right? Like no matter what the issue is. And I think bringing, like Bob said, having these conversations, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up. I think we need to do more of this in the podcast, allowing guys to get on the soapbox and and uh, bring up issues in their area. And this is one that's affecting, you know, us all. So, um, yeah. yeah I, I, I'd really like to see it get separated from all the other, you know, like, unfortunately, it gets tied in with all the other kind of like left policies, like you talked about, like predator control and all that kind of stuff. I just wish it was like its own separate thing because it's, you know what I mean? Like, an a, I wish it was an apolitical issue, which unfortunately it, it isn't right now. Good stuff, Paul. We appreciate it, man. We appreciate your time. And, uh, yeah, looking out for the future. That's what we're trying to do here. And more concentrated on the bow hunting part because that's changed a lot too, just like the everything else. So, uh, right. Like you said, uh, with climate change, man, 
if uh, everything melts off, there's it's going to be tough to go hunt uh, the Brooks Range. <sighs> I, I know, and I don't think it's going to be like I think it's going to be my kid. It's going to be like you know when he's my age, he's going to be like, oh man, this is like a lot different than what my dad talked about. If he's even into hunting, which hopefully he is, but <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I keep, I keep thinking about it, but, um, but man, you guys are right. There's so many other things to talk about and, 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 you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on with hunting. It's definitely changing. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, because of guys like yourself and, uh, a lot of the guys we bring on here, just keeping these old, uh, woodsmanship skills and, uh, hunting, you know, with, uh, primitive weapons and keeping these, uh, traditions alive i think it's important and in its own right and it's cool to hear a guy that lives up north and is kind of a, a recluse and and you know doing doing your own thing but you're still uh, choosing to uh hit the mountains with the longbow it's, it's really cool man yeah that's the only other thing i would say is like if people out there are wondering about like mountain hunting with traditional bows i know you guys are all in on it but it is so there's like everything to gain and almost nothing to lose unless you're just obsessed with getting that, you know, photo of you with a sheep because you get to spend way more time hunting. You carry way less weight, you know, carry a rifle around with you. Uh, you get to learn so much more about the animals because you take so much longer. Like, you know, if anybody ever wants to talk about the most quality way to hunt in the mountains, like send them my way and I will try to convince them that they should carry a longbow around because <laughs> they're just the best. That's a great way to end that. Thank you so much. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for all the stuff you guys do. Really appreciate all the, the podcasts. Really fun. Once again, we'd like to thank the listeners and our Patreon supporters. If you guys don't know about the Patreon, check us out at tradquest.com and support the podcast. Check us out also on Instagram. We're often posting pictures uh, that are related to the interviews that we are posting. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot. Shoot straight this November. Are you singing this song? Let's go outside and shoot you now.